This morning we're going to be um, ending our series on Ephesians. So this is the wrap up before we move into our Advent and Christmas series. And we call this the series one because we're in Ephesians, we're looking at a letter that was written to a church that was very divided. We spent a lot of time talking about that and the things that they were struggling with. And Paul was reminding them of primarily the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how that was bigger and greater than all of the visions. And then this last part of the letter, we've been looking at how that practically works out. So last week, we looked at family relationships, which he goes into. And then today... We're going to be looking at another section of Ephesians that is often really pulled out and dealt with independently, which is fine, but I hope to help bring this connection in so that we understand it. And it's a part of Ephesians that talks about the armor of God, the armor of God. So we're going to read um, Ephesians 6 together. This is Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, justice as your breastplate, and put shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. As for me, pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that confidently makes the secret plan of the gospel known. I'm an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel. Pray so that the Lord will give you the confidence to say what I have to say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we always come to your scripture humbly, wanting to open ourselves to that which you might want to say to us and teach us, but we do want it to be your Spirit's word to us. The same Spirit that inspired Paul and others to write these words down originally, we want that Spirit to be moving and working. So if it's correction we need this morning, Lord, we open ourselves to that. If it's encouragement, that we are in need of, we pray that you would do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday I had the privilege of watching my uh, home, my alma mater, my football team, the Whitworth Pirates, play in the playoffs. They have not made the playoffs very often. They play in NCAA Division Three, and in NCAA Division Three, you pretty much have to be undefeated. It's almost like you know, the college football playoffs at the Division I single-A level, they have all the bowl games and stuff. But at the Division Three level, if you don't make that final cut of like the last, you know, I think it's eight teams or something, across the country, you don't have playoffs. 
So my team made it, and now they actually have the technology that even though they're not on a big network, I can watch and see them play. It was really fun. And it brings back so many memories. I, I remember wearing my football uniform. I still have dreams about this because I did this for so many years. Like even now that I'm like 44, it was over a quarter of my life that I played football. And so during football season, every day, you had the same routine. You go into the locker room, you begin putting on your uniform. And it's, it's uh, a special feeling. I mean, it, every pad protects you in a certain way. So when you're first putting on your pads, you have these, um, this girdle that has these pads that go across your hips and your thighs, and then uh, a tailbone pad, which most people don't know is there, very important. Um, you put these pads on, and for some reason, it's kind of like other things, it was almost mandatory that after you put your thigh pads on, you go wham, wham, like just kind of hit them. It's just a great feeling, because you can take your fist, you can slam in your leg, and there's no pain. And so they work really well, right? And then you put your pants on, and they have knee pads built into them usually, or they slip in. So you get these knee pads on, you know, and then you put your, your shoulder pads on, which oh, don't just protect your shoulders. They come down across the front of your chest and down the back of your spine a little bit. And then like some, uh, like mine had what they call a horse collar, which is this rise up thing that goes around your neck, prevent whiplash. And so you have, you know, all of this stuff on. And I always like to get the biggest shoulder pads I could. I know that some, you know, maybe I wasn't very smart because I watched some of the defensive linemen in the NFL, like Bennett, you know, he's got these shoulder, shoulder pads. We're just need some bitsy little ones because he doesn't want anyone grabbing off of them. He just wants the offensive linemen to hold on to them. But I was like the big ones, you know? And you get that all on, and then finally you put on your helmet, and you have this face mask, and you have a mouth guard that goes in, and you get that all on, and then there's all these extras, you know, of course, um, sometimes people would put, like, something down to protect their legs if you're playing on turf, or you put on gloves, like I always wore gloves. When I was in high school, this will tell you how old I am, when I was in high school, the rule was that offensive linemen could not use their hands. That changed back in the, uh, right around 1990, I think, is when they changed that rule across all levels of football. So offensive linemen used to have to block like this, if you can believe that, with their forearms. So we used to wear forearm pads. But once I got to college, I changed. Um, I was a defensive lineman anyway, and we wore, you know, gloves. You put the gloves on, and you get out there, and you have all this stuff on, and you're lining up for kickoff, and the adrenaline's pumping. You see those guys on TV, they're kind of dancing around and getting ready. I mean, you are pumped. You feel like you are invincible when you have this, you know, football armor on. Of course, that's not true, but you feel that way. And that's why you see guys who are willing to just launch their bodies at full speed into other human beings. Because you have this protection. You think it's going to help you. And for years, I would sit out there, and I was almost always on the kickoff and kick return team. And I remember standing out there, and I was convincing myself in my head that is the enemy. You know, we are going to take them out. We are going to crush them. We are going to physically beat them up. That's kind of the mentality. Whether that's good or not, I'm not sure. But that's the mentality you have to have when you're playing football. Now, of course, real soldiers and police officers and others as well wear body armor today. It's a different kind of armor. They're not just worried about protecting against bruises and broken bones. But these bullets and their life, protecting their life. And this is the image that we hear in Scripture that Paul is picking up. It's the image of body armor that is meant to protect your life. And so he's using the image that they're familiar, familiar with, of course, which is the image of the Roman soldier and the Roman soldier's armor. Now I have, every time I come to this passage... 
I had this flashback to when I was a kid in church. And we did, our pastor did a time with kids, and the kids would all come forward and they'd do a lesson. And I remember, one of the only ones I remember, this one about the armor of God, and the weird one about Jesus and Santa, that was really disturbing. I still can't get that one out of my head. <laughs> Especially because my pastor was Santa in my house that year. That was really strange. He came to my house dressed as Santa, I'm like, that's not Santa, that's my pastor. Anyway. Another story for another time. But he did the armor of God and he did it every Sunday. He would do a new one and he created these things that one of us kids would get to put on every week. And he talked about everyone. And he, I remember the lesson. I mean, this is great that I still remember this lesson. I remember the lesson was that every day before we wake up, we should visualize sort of mentally putting on this armor, God's armor. The problem was I could remember the armor. Like I could remember, you know, the, the actual like helmet and the belts and the, the shoes and all that kind of stuff, the breastplate. But I couldn't remember what the spiritual part was supposed to be because I knew there was something spiritual to it. But I didn't know I, I couldn't hold on to that piece of it. But I had this image of putting on that armor. It's a great visual that Paul uses as, as he's describing this. But how does it fit in this larger context of Ephesians? It might make a great children's lesson. It would even be a good sermon series, to be honest. You could look at each aspect that Paul's describing in the armor, and we could talk about that. But in the larger context of Ephesians, where Paul is emphasizing the fact that we need to be unified. We come from, the church is talking to all these different socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and they're all together. Many of them have never worshipped male and female together. There's all kinds of mixing Jew and Gentile. And this short letter, relatively short letter, why talk about the armor of God? What's he doing? Verse 11. Oh yeah, before I say you go to verse 11, I, I want to say the other thing that makes this really interesting is this was happening, we believe, right around the time of war in Jerusalem where there was the major uprising of Jewish citizens against the occupying Roman forces. And they are actually at one point successful for about two years before the Romans come back in and destroy the temple completely, level it, just as Jesus predicted. So we believe that this letter was written right around that time. So whether it was written during the time of war or right before, right after that, all of that tension was there. So this would be, I mean, if you want to put this into perspective, this would be like, um, for those of you who remember 9-11, okay, this would have been like if you were sitting in a worship service and you were sitting next to those who were from Afghanistan and those who were raised in the United States. You're all Christians, but you're sitting there and there's all this tension of war going on. And this is, this is the kind of thing that would, would have, this letter would have been written in this context, which makes it even more interesting that Paul would use the image of war here. So what is he doing? Verse 11. Put on God's armor so that, so here's the purpose, so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. Now, when I was a kid growing up, um, I had all these weird ideas about what the devil was and what the devil did and how the devil worked. And I read some book series that had devils and demons and angels all over the place and it made it all worse. Terrible theology. And I was convinced that, you know, this, 
The devil was constantly like, you're trying to trick me. You know one of the best things I ever read that helped me understand this kind of theology was C.S. Lewis's book, little book called Screwtape Letters. Let's recommend it to you because it's, it's written as if a, um, an older demon is counseling a younger demon about how to trick this person who this younger demon's in charge of. It's all fiction. This younger demon's in charge of how to trick this person to not believe in and follow Jesus. And it's very interesting because um, C.S. Lewis does a lot of theology into his fictional writing. And I actually think that the devil works this way more often than not, that evil happens in this way. And that is that the devil's work is to try to convince us that he's not really at work. That, that these things that, we're, that are happening are, are not really the devil's work, but that if we can get them under God's work, it's even better. So how does that fit in this context? What is Paul addressing? It makes total sense when you think about it. He's saying the trick of the devil here, the thing he's been writing against, is all of this division that's coming up. The devil is convincing you that the Jewish person sitting next to you or the Gentile person sitting next to you, that they are your enemy. That's the trick of the devil. The devil is convincing you that the person who has this politics, supporting the Roman Empire, versus this person who's supporting the, the Jewish rebellion, that those two are, those are your enemies. That your enemies. The trick is thinking that the battle is happening here and the things that we see in this political realm when in actuality the battle is something that is much bigger and longer and deeper than that. So he says, put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We are not fighting against other people. That is not the fight. This is the devil's best trick, both inside the church and outside the church, to convince us that our enemies are those people who are different from us. They act different, the ones who come from a different place, the ones who worship differently, the ones who have different political views, those who have more wealth or less wealth, and we could go on and on, those who commit crimes. They are the ones who are our enemies. The gospel reminds us that we are not, none of us, and Paul started here, we're not deserving of God's love. We can't earn it. We've all sinned. But that it's freely given to us through the grace of Jesus Christ anyway, despite our not deserving it. Therefore, those who are doing these evil things that we see happening around us, and we believe there are evil things that happen, we know that. People who do those evil things are also victims of a much more insidious kind of evil. I don't say that lightly. I think that's really hard. There are people out there who do terrible, evil things. But it's important for us to remember that we do hurtful, evil things too. And that we're all in need of something that we cannot have and earn and fix on our own. We're all in need of this grace that comes from Jesus Christ. And this is why I believe Jesus can tell us, you need to love your enemies. Not just, you know, because you have to do it, I'm just giving you another law here. But because God loves them. We're never probably going to be able to fully enter into God's heart on this issue. But we can 
be mindful of the fact that this is a trick of the devil. That these people are not our enemies, but there's something greater at work that is pulling, trying to pull us all away from Jesus Christ and trying to make this world a mess. We are not fighting against human enemies, but rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. That's how Paul phrases it in verse 12. Not human enemies, but rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, spiritual powers. So the reason for the war imagery, the reason for the armor, as Paul brings it up, is because he wants to admit, yeah, we are in a war. We are in a battle. It's just not the one that we're always looking at and that we're always paying attention to. So that we need to pay attention to the kind of armor we need for this battle. And so Paul uses that imagery and he picks it up. And the armor that we need to put on, it's a spiritual armor. It's an armor that God provides. It's an armor from the God who's already won the war. I was reading a commentary this week on this passage, and there's someone who, a theologian, who described it this way. I'm not sure I fully buy into this, but I thought it was an interesting analogy. Uh, if you know the Battle of World War II, you know that on D-Day, we, we the Allies, invaded the, the shores of France and Normandy, and that, that really became the turning point in the Battle of World War II, right? And we know that from D-Day to V-Day, there was quite a bit of time that passed, V-Day being Victory Day, when there was surrender, complete unconditional surrender, and the Allied forces won, and Europe was liberated, that whole thing. Between those two points, even though we can look back historically and say, wow, as soon as we successfully invaded France, that battle was won, right? As soon as we were unified together and did that, but in the meantime, there's all these other little battles that happen. There's stalemates. There's the Battle of the Bulls. There's all these other things. And the theologian described that as kind of being like where we're at. God's already, already won the victory, won the battle of Jesus Christ. And V-Day is out there when Jesus returns and everything is set right. But in the meantime, there's still constant little battles and skirmishes of evil going on. And that's where we find ourselves. And I think it works to a certain extent. I'm going to do something I haven't done before <clears throat> because I am not a, I don't consider myself a singer, but there's a song that I find whenever I'm thinking about evil that is just a great depiction of what, it's a hymn, a great depiction of what God has done. The, the text of this hymn, it's actually very long. I can't remember how many verses there are in total. But we're going to sing four of them together this morning. And I think it's one that many of you know. And it's one that I, I haven't really done here before. So I'm going to do my best. But I would like you to stand with me and pay attention to these words as we sing. If you're willing to, let's stand and let's sing this together. So this was written by Martin Luther, who's one of the, the great reformers. And you'll notice this line, verse 3, at the end. Um, you know, his rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure, when little word shall fail him. There's this um, legend uh, that I think is probably true, um, that Martin Luther was in his study working, and he was confronted by the devil. And he grabbed his inkwell and took it and chucked it across the room and claimed the name of Jesus, and the devil fled. And apparently you can still go to that place, if you're doing a tour, and see the ink on the wall. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, this is a powerful song, though, isn't it? 
reminding us that we are in a battle, but that the battle has already been won by Jesus. So Paul reminds us that there's a different way of looking at armor. That it's not just about um, physically protecting ourselves. And we could probably bring modern analogies in there like security systems and owning a gun and all the different things that we do to physically protect ourselves. Paul says there's something much more important. It's a spiritual armor that we put on. And here's just, we're just going to look, we could dig a lot deeper into these, but here's the things he lists. Just pay attention to these. The belt of truth. I want to say that while I could go on and on about talking about truth and all that kind of stuff, the one way of looking at these is to think of the opposite. So he says, I want you to put on the belt of truth rather than living a life of lies and deception and false religion. I want you to, we should be people of truth. That should be a standard for us. Putting on the justice, or the breastplate of justice reminds me of something from like a, a Justice League, like superheroes, you know, the breastplate of justice. Sounds cool. Putting that on rather than corruption and injustice and indifference. And by the way, if we're to be people of justice, that requires action. So this is an interesting thing to think of when we're talking about armor. Putting on shoes to spread the good news of peace rather than being those who are about badness of violence and division. Putting on the shield of faith rather than living in doubt and fear and disobedience. We could say the shield of faithfulness, not just about what we believe, but how we live. And the helmet of salvation rather than religious moralism that says you have to earn God's favor. Salvation says Jesus did it, not we're doing it. Religious moralism says we've got to behave in the right way to earn God's favor. The sword of the Spirit, God's Word, Paul says, rather than the lies of the devil that say that what is worth having is power, wealth, comfort, fame. Think about the things Jesus was tempted with. Those were the lies the devil was trying to get Jesus to buy into. And Jesus responds to those lies by quoting Scripture. You know, I have to just mention here on this one, I, all my life, I don't know why I've grown up thinking the sword of the Spirit equaled the Bible. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says the Word of God. So when you might go, well, the Bible is the Word of God. Yes, we say the Bible is the Word of God. But if you look at John 1, 1, who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is that which we see spoken in creation. We see it incarnated in Jesus Christ. We believe the Word of God still goes out. Yes, written Word of God in Scripture because it points to the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And as Reformers, we even believe that whenever we preach and teach from God's Word, that now we're dealing with the spoken Word of God. So the Word of God is that which is true and right and, and is active. So it's much bigger than just the Bible. It's about all of those things. So who is the enemy? For 10 years of my life, maybe a little bit longer, I'd have to recalculate that, but I put on my football armor, and then on Friday nights, and then later on, on Saturday afternoons, I would go out and I would play, and I would convince myself that the people on the other sideline and the other jerseys, they were the enemy. And it took me some time, but some time during my college career, I figured out that that just wasn't the case at all. I mean... 
Don't get me wrong, I didn't hate the people I was playing against. But I was convinced that in terms of my, my career as an athlete, that those who were on the opposing team, they were my enemies. But I actually learned that there was some, an enemy I was battling that was much more dangerous than that when it came to you know, playing that game. And that was the enemy that was the temptation to only work hard when my coaches were looking at me, the temptation to quit when things got hard and our team was losing, the day in and the day out discipline of training and practice and study and nutrition and taking care of my body and balancing all of that with school and with my family, that's where the battle was won or lost. By the time I got to the football field, I had already done most of the fighting and, and it took me a long time to realize that. And I would say that this is the same way for us as Christians. That we can be deceived into thinking that the enemy are those who commit crimes or dictators who plot against the destruction of our country or government policies that we feel impede our, our freedom or our way of life or other religious groups or we could go on and on and on and on. We can convince ourselves that that is the enemy. And while some of these things do need to be fought and maybe fought in our lifetime, none of them are as dangerous as that which is trying to pull us away from being people who are full of God's love. And it's for this reason that we need to be spiritually disciplined. We need to be practicing daily, putting on our armor of faith. All these things that Paul talks about, of seeking God and using this armor that God provides rather than relying on our own strength to make things happen. Let's pray. Father, I find myself um, thinking just like I did when I was a kid. I don't know how to put on this armor. It really has to be something that, that you help us with, Lord. But I do know how to come to you in faith. Father, I ask that all of us would be able to do that on a more regular basis. That when we're in the midst of struggles in our life, when it feels like we're in a battle, that we would lean on your strength. That we would work ourselves into prayer and into studying the Lord. God, we know this world is in a massive struggle. There are real wars happening all over. Our country's been in war in the longest war we've ever been in in our history. So we don't want to minimize that. We know these things are really happening. But God, I ask that you would help us to see with your eyes this world around us. To be people who be faithful in the midst of all of it. In Jesus' name we pray.